The Word of God is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. And I'm really excited today because today we begin a brand new series. And that series is entitled The Revelation, God's Strategy for Victory. The Revelation, God's Strategy for Victory. And yes, I'm going to take you on a journey over the next four sessions through the book of the Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. And it happens to be that book that many preachers avoid and uh, that many believers uh, only ever read uh, at times of crisis. But we are going to explore God's strategies for victory because I believe that the book of Revelation is speaking to each and every one of us loudly and clearly today, especially at this time. So again, now would be a good time to notify your family, your friends, and your networks that Bishop Wayne Malcolm and the ICANN Community Church in the House Experience is streaming and that we are going deep into the word of the Lord. Uh, I'm going to read in your hearing from the book of the Revelation, chapter number one, and I'm simply going to read the opening verse. It reads, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. Well, we'll be making several references to the book of Revelation as we go through, but that's a great opening verse, the opening verse of the book. And uh, as you prepare your heart to receive the word of the Lord, I want to pray with you. I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit for the very mind of Christ. Let's pray right now. Father, in the glorious name of your Son, our Savior Jesus, we are so grateful for another opportunity to connect, to share, to learn, and to grow. We thank you for your word because your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is the source and secret of our strength. It is the source of our faith. And in times like these, Father, we need increased faith. So I pray that every person under the hearing of this word will come out of this moment with increased faith and with the courage to continue. And this we have prayed in the magnificent name of our triumphant Savior, Jesus Christ. And all the people said, amen and amen. That's right. Well, you know, I can't hear you saying amen, but I want you to let your neighbors know that you're in the word right now. And so uh, we're going to dive into this and it's going to be a four part series. And I think I'm going to use today to create a bit of a context uh, for understanding and interpreting the book of Revelation. Uh, as I'm sure you know, the book of Revelation for many believers is a frightening book, one that they seek to avoid because it speaks about uh, a big red dragon, it talks about a beast, it talks about the Antichrist, the false prophet, uh, the harlot, talks about judgments falling upon the earth in which we see, um, you know, huge 
portions of the world burned with fire and um, all of this death and destruction and war. And, um, and then, of course, it concludes with a new Jerusalem and with a new heaven and a new earth. But it's, it's for some believers, a frightening book. And, of course, many films uh, have been made, particularly around Revelation 13, which deals in some detail with the Antichrist. Uh, so I want to start by making it very clear that the book of Revelation is not about the Antichrist. It is not about the beast, the false prophet, the dragon, the harlot, mystery Babylon. It's not about any of that. The book is about Jesus Christ. As we saw in our opening reading, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I want you to notice that this is a revelation that God gave to Christ. And it is ultimately the revelation of the, the outcome of his sacrifice. The outcome of his sacrifice. Exactly what he purchased on that old rugged cross and what the end of the process is going to be. He here says that, that he's showing to his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And I just want to pause there for a moment because things are seasonal. Things are seasonal. Whatever thing you're going through right now, it will come and pass. Ecclesiastes says to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Things have seasons. They come and they go. And there are some things that, are, that have come into your life and they will go from your life. There are things that have come, but they have come to pass. And this is a book which is the ultimate revelation of the outcome of the sacrifice of Jesus and what he purchased, what will be the end of the process. Now, we kind of know that this is a book about how it all winds up, what is going to be the end result, what's going to be the outcome of Christ's sacrifice. And we sort of know it because of the reoccurring use of the number seven in the book of Revelation. The number seven just keeps on reoccurring in the book of Revelation. How many of you already noticed that? That there are seven stars in the right hand of him who stands in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. There are seven seals of a closed book. There are seven trumpets. There are seven bowls of wrath. There are even seven things that shall be no more. The Perpetual use of the number seven is a clue as to what this book is fundamentally about. Because seven is God's number signifying a finished work or the conclusion of a matter. We learn in the creation that God created for six days and rested on the seventh. The seventh was the conclusion, the completion of a matter. There are seven days in a week and the last day is the seventh day. And so the perpetual use of this number seven is a clue as to exactly what God wants you to see when you are reading this book. 
He wants you to see how it's all going to conclude. Because if you can see the conclusion at the beginning, you will find the courage to continue. You know, when we get discouraged, it's because we can't see beyond the situation. We can't see beyond the circumstance. We can't see beyond the obstacle. But if you can see what is the conclusion of the matter, you're going to find the courage to continue. And this book was written to Christians who were experiencing adversity, difficulty, tribulation, persecution, oppression, Christians whose lives, whose earthly lives had been devastated uh, by circumstances, situations, and conspiracies. And God wanted them to be able to see what would be the conclusion of the matter so they would find the courage to continue. In this respect, the book of Revelation is a good book. It's a great book. And it needs to be understood on a particular level. Allow me to just create even some more context for where we're going today. See, whenever you're studying the Bible, you will understand it on several levels. There are levels of understanding. One of the Old Testament prophets said that the word of God is line upon line and precept upon precept. It means the Bible is like an onion. There are There are levels and layers beneath the levels and the layers. And when it comes to your understanding of the Bible, it's important that you understand on the level uh, that God is communicating. So here's the first level. The first level is interpretation, the interpretation. And I guess a lot of preachers avoid the book of Revelation because they disagree on its interpretation. They disagree on the meaning of the metaphors. Of course, the whole book is written in prophetic picture language. And they disagree on the meaning of the metaphors and the interpretation of the pictures. And they disagree with some of the sequences and the chronology and when things are supposed to happen, what's supposed to happen, what's it supposed to look like. And what they are doing is they're arguing on the level of interpretation. So let me say something about interpretation. In order to interpret the Bible, you have to understand the text and its context. Somebody shout back at me, the text and its context. Now to understand the text, you have to know the original language. You have to know the Greek, you have to know the Hebrew, and then to understand the context, you have to understand the history, the manners and customs of those times, so that you are aware of any idioms that may be in the text. And this is the work of scholars and theologians who go at the Bible from the position of trying to understand the text and the context. That is an interpretation. However, there are other layers. The second layer is implication, implication. What is implied in this text? Because many of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, many of them speak of Jesus, prophesy of Jesus by implication, not by interpretation. For example, one of the Old Testament prophets said, you know, out of Egypt have I called my son. The New Testament writer, Matthew, 
quotes that and says that prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus when he came back out of Egypt. You know that Mary Joseph and Jesus went into Egypt for many years and then came out of Egypt. Matthew says that was a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. But when you read that Old Testament prophecy and in its text and context, here's what it says. Israel is my son and out of Egypt have I called my son. So that at the level of interpretation, it's speaking about Israel. But at the level of implication, it is speaking about Christ. So sometimes when you read the Bible, you're not just looking for interpretation, which is quite a scholarly thing. And I'm not here discouraging anyone that wants to be a scholar, but I want you to know that in order to really get interpretation, you need to understand the text in its original language and the context in which it sits. But at the level of implication, there are many things implied when you read the Bible. The third level, and it's the level we're going to focus on today, is the level of application. Application. Somebody say application. If you're not going to say it out loud, at least say it in your heart. Application. Because even though there may be one interpretation of the Bible when you look at its text and context, there are multiple ways to apply the lessons to different areas of your life. And when you are looking at the Bible for application, you're no longer looking and saying, well, what did it mean for those people at that time? You're now saying, how does it speak to me in my situation, in my circumstance, with what I'm dealing with right now? And that's how we're going to go through the book of Revelation. I'm not going to argue about who is the beast, who is the false prophet, what is mystery Babylon, uh, who is the red dragon. We're not going to spend time arguing that situation. Instead, we're going to look at the metaphors. We're going to look at the sequence of events in order to discover what God is saying to you now about what you're dealing with right now. And of course, we're all dealing with different things. Certainly, globally, we're dealing with the, with the effects of the global pandemic and how it has affected the economies of the world. Many people uh, are, are losing jobs. Many businesses have gone bust. Uh, many countries are on the brink of bankruptcy, and all of this has happened in a very short space of time. We've entered the decade of disruption when we entered into 2020, and the effects of what we've experienced in the last six months are going to take at least a decade to remedy by all, um, you know, by every stretch of the imagination. So, that's what the world is going through. But what are you going through right now? What are you dealing with right now? What, what, where is your great challenge? What is your adversity? What is your tribulation? What is your persecution? Because there is, there is hope in this book of Revelation. In fact, because this book ultimately 
ultimately reveals the triumph of Christ, the success of Christ, the defeat of all of his enemies. I begin to look at it again. And as I looked at it again, I realized that God is delivering to us strategies for victory, strategies for success and strategies for winning. And there's a way of, of looking at the metaphors and applying them to whatever it is you're dealing with in your life right now. And in it, you're going to find a secret, a strategy, a system that guarantees your victory and that you ultimately overcome. And if you're already excited about it, you need to bring church into your house right now and begin shouting that amen. You need to make some noise because as you connect with the word, instead of just watching the church in the house, just become the church in your house. Because the real church is not a building, ladies and gentlemen. The real church is the people that, that have heard the call of God through the gospel and that believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the real church. If we are a building, then we are made up of living stones, building up this spiritual house. So I want you to get ready as we begin to dive into a few of the strategies for victory. And this will be a four-part series. It's going to get deeper and deeper as we go. Uh, we're just laying a foundation today, and I hope you are already excited. Somebody shout amen. So I want us to notice that the first three chapters of the book of Revelation are dedicated to seven churches in Asia. These were literal churches, church communities situated in historic cities. Many of those cities uh, can be visited today and you will see the ruins from the ancient worlds that they came from. These are real cities from Ephesus through to Laodicea. There are seven cities, seven churches are inside the cities and John who wrote this book, who received this revelation is instructed to write to the seven churches. So what we now have is letters written to churches. And these letters are written to the churches uh, who are dealing with, with difficulty. I mean, some of the churches were being persecuted. Uh, some of the churches were, were facing extreme hardship. Um, they were being martyred. They were being hunted down. They were outlawed. They were struggling with an enemy without as well as enemies within. Some of them had been infiltrated by false teachers. There were doctrines that were absolutely dismantling the fabric of the church. They were struggling. And Christ sends a message to each of these churches. And of course, it would take an entire series to look at each message, but I would encourage you to just go ahead, Google, look at the seven churches in Asia, look at the messages because they continue to speak to us loud and clear. Some scholars believe that these seven churches represent seven types of church in every generation. Others believe that the, that the seven churches represent seven 
ages of the church, that the church has been here through seven ages. And there are others who see it as seven stages of the church, that every church ultimately goes through these stages. Well, however the, the interpretation is, there's tons of application for us, and I want to dive in right now with the first strategy for victory. You see, the whole thing begins in chapter 1, when John, who is exiled to the Isle of Patmos, he's, he's in prison, he's praying, he's worshiping, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and on that day, he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. One more time, he saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he didn't see Jesus as a suffering servant, but he saw Jesus in majesty, in glory, triumphant, victorious. He saw Jesus so majestic that he was as bright as the sun. He saw Jesus in priestly garments with, with a golden breastplate. He saw Jesus shining, reigning in his majesty. And I want to declare to you that that is your first key to victory in your adversity. It is how, when, and where you can see Jesus. I'm going to say that again. How, when, and where you see Jesus in the midst of your storm, your tribulation, your persecution, your adversity, your difficulty is going to become a strategy for victory. Now, before, before I break it right down, let me remind you that Peter walked on the water. How many of you remember? Peter walked on the water in the midst of a storm. The reason he walked on the water is because he saw Jesus walking on the water. And he said, Lord, if this is you, bid me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter stepped out of the boat and the water solidified under his feet and he found himself walking on water, looking at Jesus walking on water. But then the Bible says when he saw the, the waves boisterous and begin to focus on his circumstance and his situation, the Bible says that he began to sink. He began to sink when he took his eyes off of Jesus who was walking on water. He was demonstrating victory. He was operating in victory. He saw Jesus in victory when he took his eyes off of Jesus and began to focus on his circumstance. He began to sink. And as he sank, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached down and picked him up so that he could walk and stand again on the water. What was the key between standing and sinking? What was it? It was your focus. It was the ability to see Jesus that determined whether Peter could walk, uh, stand, or whether he would sink. And so when I share this with you as a strategy for victory, um, 
It is a well-established strategy for victory. And it taps into a little bit of psychology because ultimately whatever you focus on, you animate and you amplify. I'm going to say that again. Whatever you focus on, you animate and you amplify. If you focus on Jesus, he will be animated and amplified in your life. But if you focus on your circumstance, the circumstance gets bigger and bigger, more animated and ultimately amplified as you focus on your circumstance. And so this is why the first thing John sees is Jesus. How did he see Jesus? He saw Jesus reigning in victory. He saw Jesus in complete control of his kingdom. Let me explain that. The Bible says he saw in the right hand of Christ seven stars. The seven stars were symbols representing the seven angels of the churches. And this meant that in his hand, he was in control of his kingdom. And it's very important for you to know Whatever adversity, storm, trial, difficulty you face in this season, God has never lost control of his kingdom. Jesus has everything in his hands. And the more you see that and the more you focus upon that is the more that will be animated and amplified in your soul and the more courage you're going to feel to continue and the more strength you're going to feel to stand because you are now realizing that that God is still in control. He is still on the throne. Jesus still has you in his hand. And because you are in his hand, nothing and no one will ever be able to pluck you out of his hand. How you see Jesus in your storm is going to determine uh, your victory, your success, or your sinking. How you see him. Now, many believers... Many believers only ever see Jesus in their successes. So whenever things work out, thank you, Jesus. You know, you applied for the job, you got the job. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you've been working on the business deal. It came through. Thank you, Jesus. And sometimes when you avoid a hardship, you know, the car is about to crash, but it didn't. Thank you, Jesus. We like to see Jesus in our victories, in our successes, and in our celebrations. But if you're going to experience the, the real victory, you have to learn to see Jesus in your adversity. You have to learn to see Jesus in the imperfections of your situation. Where did John see Jesus? Well, he saw him walking in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. Walking in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. Now, this is a vision, and these are symbols. What did they represent? The Bible specifically says the golden candlesticks are the seven churches. So, he saw Jesus 
in the midst of the church. Now, this is, this is really interesting, and it's important to note that every one of these seven churches had flaws, faults, issues, errors, and imperfections that they needed to overcome. Every one of the churches had an issue that it needed to overcome. There was a lot of correction in the letters that John sent to the churches. And in some cases, there was outright rebuke. I mean, he told one church, you've left your first love. He told another church, you're neither cold nor hot. You are lukewarm. He told another church, you have a name that you live, but you're dead. I mean, this was not a perfect church. But where did John see Jesus? John saw him in the midst of an imperfect church. Oh, I wish I, I wish I could hear your amens right now. John saw Jesus in the midst of an imperfect church. What's that? That's a perfect Christ in the midst of an imperfect church. Now, it's very important that if you're going to experience the victory that God has for you in this season, that you see a perfect Jesus, even in the midst of an imperfect situation and in the midst of an imperfect church. Now, I will be the first to tell you, and it's almost a hallmark of my ministry, that I am not here as a preacher of the gospel to defend the imperfections of Christianity. I am not here to pretend that church is perfect or that Christianity is perfect, that it has a perfect history. No, I am not here preaching Christianity. I am here preaching Christ. I am not here to defend the imperfections of Christianity. I am here to defend the perfections of Christ. I am not here looking for a perfect situation. I am looking for a perfect Jesus. So that whatever is not perfect in your life, you still need to see Christ in it because he is the fourth man in your fire. He is where you are and whatever it is that you're dealing with, Christ is present. You know, you know, you know the, the songwriter said, with Jesus in the vessel, you can smile at the storm. So Jesus is even in the vessel while the storm is raging around you. And you have to choose in this season whether you will focus on the storm or you will focus on the Savior. Whether you're going to look at your circumstances all the time, which can only generate more anxiety, more complaining, more disgruntlement, or if you're going to look at the perfections of your Savior. Because the more that you look at Him, is the more light is going to come into your situation. Woo, somebody help me preach. The more you look at Jesus, the more light will come into your situation. And as there's light in your situation, you'll see what to do. You'll know what to do. You'll know what to avoid. You'll know where to turn because his word will become a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. How you see him? Reigning in victory. Where you see him in the midst of all of the imperfections. When you see him in times of adversity, tribulation, hardship, and persecution. If you can see Jesus in the midst of it all, 
This is going to be a key, a major key to victory moving forward. Well, finally, uh, it was not enough to simply see him. You had to then hear his word. And so he says to each of the churches, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Because once you see him, it simply means you're now focusing on Christ. It means that you are realizing that the imperfections of your situation are nothing compared to the perfections of Christ. And that as much as things feel out of control, God has never lost control. He's working all things together for your good. He has a master plan. He is like a chess player that is making tactical maneuvers for strategic reasons. And because each maneuver is strategic in his nature, he is not obliged to tell you why he has moved you in a particular way. Because when you're playing chess, uh, as, you, as you possibly know, when you're playing chess, that mind sport, that game of war called chess, when you're playing it, uh, it's very important that your every move is strategic and that your every move uh, is setting up the next move. And therefore, you must not give away your game plan and why it is you're moving things in particular ways. But you see, the more that you see Jesus, the more that that light begins to flood your life. And you begin to realize that actually, I don't understand what is happening or what God is up to but I understand that God is in control. I don't understand why God put me in this situation, but I trust that he has tactically moved me for strategic reasons. I, I cannot make sense of the tribulation that I'm experiencing, but I absolutely know that God has a master plan and that in the end, it's going to work out for my good. That's an important key to victory because it keeps you optimistic. And once you lose your optimism, you become a pessimist, then your mind will find ways to validate every negative thing that you see. Your mind will spotlight everything that is negative and use it as proof that, that there is no future for you, which is why God wants you to become optimistic about your future he wants you to begin to realize that your best is yet to come. He wants you looking beyond the circumstance and seeing the sun rise and a new day dawning in your life because that keeps you optimistic. And as you are optimistic, everything will become proof that things are getting better. I mean, even if the devil shows up, you're going to say, you know what? The reason that devil is shown up is because I'm on the brink of my next breakthrough. Even if something goes wrong, you will say, I know why it went wrong. It went wrong because the devil's scared of my next breakthrough. You know, as one person once, once said, if you're walking by faith and you encounter the devil, it's a good sign that you and him are not walking together. I mean, if you are walking and never encounter the devil, it's because you're both going in the same direction. But if you encounter the devil, then it means you're going in opposite directions. You know, the only way to even think like that 
is when you have the revelation, the revelation that God has already secured your future, that in the cross, he not only purchased your salvation, but he has purchased your victory on that old rugged cross. Now, it's important that you are hearing and that you are developing an ear for God, that you're cultivating a culture of listening, that you begin to cherish and prize the word, that the word of God becomes your priority in this particular season, that you deliberately and intentionally build your Knowledge of scripture and your understanding of God through the scriptures. That you begin to put promises in your heart, commit them to memory. That you begin to commit verses to your memory. That you begin to feed on them, feast on them, meditate in them. Because it is that word that will become a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Jesus said, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. He wasn't talking about your physical ears. He was talking about your inner ear. If you have an inner ear for God, an ear, an appetite for God, which means that you're actually listening for God, he's going to give you instructions. He's going to give you strategies. He's going to give you solutions. He's going to show you what to do next. And this is the beginning of the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, as we go on in this series I am I, I just can't wait to get into the next parts of this series because it gets deeper and deeper and fuller and fuller and you begin to see the strategies for victory. So here's what I want to do right now. I want to pray with those of you that have specifically been dealing with immense and painful difficulty at this particular time in your life. Whatever area of your life has become unstable, uncertain, and unsettled, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for those of you that have lost things and people. I want to pray for those of you whose future has been plunged into total uncertainty. And I'm going to pray one thing for you. I'm going to pray that you get the revelation of Jesus Christ that you get the revelation of your own destiny, that you will become optimistic about your future, enthusiastic and even excited about your next, because your next is going to be your best. I want you to pray with me in whatever way that you pray. You may close your eyes. You may lift your hands to heaven. You may even touch the device upon which you're listening as a point of contact with me because I want to pray with you. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, in the glorious name of your Son, our Savior Jesus, we are praying now for the saints, the body of Christ, the people of God, and those that are looking in. We're praying for people wherever they are in this world and wherever they are in their life cycle and their circumstances. We are praying right now that a fresh wind, a fresh wave, a fresh fire of the Holy Spirit will ignite their faith. We're praying, Lord, that you will ignite and rekindle that flame, that sense of belief that the best 
is yet to come. That you've saved the best until now. That you've secured our future. That in the end, we win. God calls us to know, not theoretically, but by revelation, that all things are working together for our good. That our God still reigns, sits on the throne, has never lost control. That you haven't forgotten us, uh, you've not forsaken us, but you have a plan for us and your plan is to take us from victory to victory, from strength to strength, from grace to grace, from faith to faith. It's your plan to take us higher and to the next level. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that your people will get the revelation until it is unshakable, until it cannot move, until whatever comes against us fails to rob us of our faith. And this we have prayed in the magnificent name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen and Amen. Well, you know, we're easing you into this particular series, but I pray and trust that something we've said today has resonated with you, has touched you, has encouraged you, has reminded you that Christ is that fourth man in your fire, that he is in the vessel, even though the vessel is in a storm. And because he is present, uh, those waves are not going to consume you. That fire is not going to consume you. Those waves, that flood is not going to drown you. You are safe and you are saved. I want to encourage you to take another step. Take another step. Connect with our community. Connect with our community from wherever you are in the world. You can go to our website, you can go to the phone and call us and say, I'm ready to recommit to Christ, I'm ready to connect with Christ, or I need some help with my faith. And we are waiting for you. Now, until the next time, I want you to go over this message again. Go over it again as many times as you can until it just sits in your soul. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the next Church in the House experience. With me, your host, Bishop Wayne Malcolm, the Business Bishop, and the ICANN Community Church. God bless. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. And if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.